Let me pray one more time. God, I thank you, Father, as we uh, announce today, Lord, our next series. Uh, Father, as I was worshiping backstage for a portion of that, Father, reminded that in many circles I am unaccepted. And Father, that you call me accepted. Um, So Father, right now I declare your name to be victory. Father, I declare that there is no room for darkness where there is light, and you are light. And so, Father, where the enemy would tell me that I am unaccepted, unworthy, Father, that you say worthy, that you say accepted, that you say child, that you say you have my peace, you have my victory, you have my life. And so, Father, I pray that this morning would be a manifestation of a sinner turned saint because of the power of Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus, and we declare your name this morning. Amen. Every good sermon needs to start with pictures of a puppy. Uh, and so uh, I, I recently got a puppy. My family got a puppy. So there's going to be some uh, pictures scrolling uh, in the back. And uh, it's a, we got a black lab uh, because we have like a little, like, I don't know, 12-pound mutt. Uh, and Ava was like, hey, it doesn't really protect me when you're gone. And so we're like, oh, let's get a black lab. It looks fierce. And, uh, and so we got a black lab, and the thing is as smelly as any dog can be. One of its issues is that it eats so quickly that then it throws up its food, uh, which is a fun problem when you have three young kids in the house. Uh, and so what we did recently is there's this place in Lacey, which I thought was brilliant. It's like this little mom-and-pop pet store that for 10 bucks you can use their nice granite, like granite sinks and walk, like put your dog up in the sink and they give you shampoo, they give you a blow dryer, they give you towels, they give you like the hoses and everything and then like you make their place a mess so that your bathroom is kept nice and pristine. It's worth every penny of $10. It was absolutely incredible. The reason that we were able to get uh, our dog's name is Bruin because it's a black lab and I'm a big Bruin New England sports fan so Bruin Black and yellow, we're, we're still in the playoffs anyways. Uh, and so, dog's name is Bruin. The reason we were able to get Bruin is because unbeknownst to us, uh, we thought we were getting this incredible deal on a puppy. And we were getting a great deal on a puppy. And uh, through the process, though, we had found out the breeder accidentally let it slip that a mutual friend uh, had given her some money, which was why the puppy was so cheap. Somebody blessed our family, trying to keep it a secret. The breeder let it slip. We found out. And this person uh, loved our family enough to help us be able to get a beautiful puppy black lab. This is a person that has at times sent me emails that are hard to read. She has challenged me in my thinking, challenged me in in issues here at Wellspring to, would you consider this? Would you pray about this? And she's done so with such humility and such care. There are oftentimes I get emails from like little something cutie pie from Yahoo at something and it's like delete, delete, delete because they don't sign their name to it. They have these critiques and they don't want to put their name to it. And you're like, you don't really care about us. You just want to rip us apart. And so we just delete those emails. But this is a person that, that loves me, loves my family, cares about my family enough that when, when she has to say the hard things, I want to listen because I know that it comes from a place of compassion and care. Wheels Langworthy is another person like that. If you've ever met Wheels, he's that bald-headed dude that says hi to you as you walk in oftentimes. 
He is a, a great man of God. He's, uh, he's, he's come from Bayside with me where I was the youth pastor. He's somebody that cares deeply about my family as well. He's helped me move. He's been there when my kids were born. He's, he's, he's a part of my family. And that also means that as he's shown me care, concern, compassion to my family, there are times when he's able to say to me, Jason, stop being an idiot. Jason, I love you, but dot, 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 dot. And I know it's not a heart that says, you're a jerk, you need to change. It's a heart that says, Jason, I care about you as a brother in Christ, and these are things that I feel like you need to be working on. And so I accept the hard words from wheels and my friend that helped us get a puppy because I also know that they care. Versus the person that would say to me, Jason, I have a word from God. You don't know me. I have a word from God. All the while, I know that the week before, they were trashing us on social media or saying from their pulpit things about us or me. And it's like, you don't have a word from God. (laughs) You're just a jerk. (laughs) But when Wheels or my friend says, Jason, God's put something on my heart, I've been praying for you. Because of that friendship, I look at them, and I'm able to take what they have to say. How do we approach Jesus? Is he that legalistic jerk as I met with somebody this week for coffee who's like, yeah, I'm cool with Jesus, but he, yeah, actually I'm not. He's kind of a jerk. Or, or, is he, or is he, are you one of many that would say, well, Jesus was, you know, happy-go-lucky. He was jolly old Jim, if you will. He, he was just a nice guy. But when it comes time for him to say the tough stuff, well, that's where his authority can, can take a back seat. He's just a nice guy. How do we couple the two with compassion and truth and accept somebody who is willing to show compassion and truth? If that gets out of balance, then we are easily uh, going to write off a person. And do we do that with Jesus? Do we have a level of respect for Jesus where we see him as a nice guy, but it goes to the point of actionable respect? Or do we just see him as a dictator, and why you're here, I do not know. Or do do we look at him as somebody that I get to be fallen in love with and show my life gets to show gratitude to Jesus as he speaks authoritatively into my life, but he's shown me all the compassion in the world on the cross. And so we're going to pick it up where where Josh left off last week in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, in verse 38. Follow along on the screen or in your Bible or on the app. I'm I'm going to take some breaks while reading to explain a few things uh, as we go through this. But starting in verse 38, it says, "And, and he arose and left the synagogue. So this is an extension of the same day where Josh was preaching last week. He he's in the middle of teaching in the morning, kind of like what we're doing today, teaching in the synagogue, casting out demons, uh, teaching and, and the energy that goes into that. It's been a very long morning. So Jesus arises. It's the same exact day. It's a continuation of that. And he entered Simon's house. It's a long day. I I can relate to Jesus in this. After a long day, Simon's a close friend. We know him to be the Apostle Peter. I understand that after a long day, you know what I want to do? I want to go home and turn on ESPN and turn off the entire world and just watch football, ESPN, whatever. I I would love to go to a friend's house and just kick back and do absolutely nothing. I envision that's what Jesus is doing. After a long morning at the synagogue, he's looking just to kick back for a second. And so he enters into Simon Peter's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law, so Peter's married. So when we get to that portion of Scripture where it says that Peter dropped his nets, left everything to follow Jesus, there's weight behind that, isn't there? Leaves everything behind. So Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. 
You and I don't consider fevers necessarily that big of a deal in today's world. Back then, huge deal. A high fever could, could go away quickly or could lead to death quickly. They, there was no aspirin or Tylenol to pop a pill. There wasn't going to the, to the local, local hospital and getting an IV or something of that nature. There, there wasn't a cold bath. This, this was something that was a very big deal. It could very quickly lead to life or death. So that in and of itself, a fever breeds a chaotic situation. And they appealed to him on her behalf. They're asking Jesus to go back to work. Jesus was just at the, at the synagogue. He's, he's, he's the guy sitting there trying to watch a little ESPN and just enjoy himself at, at a friend's house. And now they're, they're not just, hey, Jesus, they're appealing. There's, there's weight behind that. Jesus, go back to work. Give more of yourself. If I'm him, I would, I would be frustrated because I'm not Jesus. I'm sinful. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't doesn't act as I would act. And, and he stood over her, rebuked the fever. Sharp criticism, rebuked the fever. And it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Fevers are subject to God. Health is subject to God. This earth is subject to God. And what we see in healing, what we see in, in, in casting out a demon, as Josh talked about last week, when Jesus does something, oftentimes it is instantaneously. He, he's not one of those, those modern-day healers where you donate enough money and over time your illness would go away. When Jesus heals, it's often instantaneously. It's a broken bone that becomes healed. It's cancer that goes away overnight. It's instantaneous. And as a healed person, what does she do? Did you catch that last verse? She waited on him. In that culture, the woman of the home, it would be her joy, her, her obligation, but her joy to wait on the people, to, to distinguish the gifts and show them common hospitality. She's probably laying in bed with a high fever, wanting to wait on Jesus, wanting to give him the time of day. And, he, and he, can't, he, he bends over her. He rebukes the favor. It goes away. And what she does instantaneously is out of gratitude for Jesus, she goes about her business of being an awesome host. Now, walk a mile in Jesus' sandals. How much did that mean to him? He's, he's worked all day at the synagogue, giving of himself. He's at his friend's house. Now he's going back to work to do healing there. And now the person that he has healed is now waiting on him, showing him hospitality. If you're Jesus, tired in chaos of the day, that probably, that maybe 10 minutes of your day probably means the world as you're getting a nice cold glass to drink, as you're able for the first time all day to genuinely kick back for a second. I'm sure that the gratitude of, of Peter's mother-in-law meant, the, the gratitude that was shown meant the world to Jesus. Check out this clip from uh, a family that we know as the Jennings. If you don't know them, you should get to know them. Check out this clip. Hi, my name is Wendy. This is my husband, Rich. We have been married for almost 20 years. We have three children, two grandchildren. Can life get any more chaotic than that? We are perfect for this series. <laughs> this past year has been super chaotic for us. We had owned our own business, which, which crazy. pretty much consumed almost every waking moment of our lives, whether we were there 
or whether we were at home. And it really left no time for family, for Jesus, nothing for ourselves at all. So it was very chaotic. We actually opened the store later on Sundays, just so that way we could go to church as a family. We love Wellspring, and we would get one meal together, to be honest. So we opened up later, and someone actually approached me and said, do you realize what you're doing? He said, you're not making money. You're closing your store just to go to church. And at first, to be honest, it made me feel sad, but then I realized I'm actually happy. What this church has done for us is it brought us closer together as a family. We all got baptized together, and just knowing that we are loved by Jesus, we love sharing his love with everyone, and we did that at the store too. If you, if you would have honestly asked me 13 months ago what my relationship with God was, I would tell you that it was non-existent. God who? That's what and he would say. Yeah. Just my, I would, I would even use the word passion, my passion for Jesus now. My commitment to Wellspring and wanting to be here every Sunday, I don't feel like it's something I have to do. It's something I want to do. And my relationship with God and with Wellspring has, I believe, formed a tighter bond with my family. Uh, this is something we all enjoy doing. Without that, without God and Wellspring in our lives, I don't know if we would be on the same path where we are now, where everybody is happy. Um, the chaos seems to be driven from us since we had decided to sell the store. We have more family time and more time for Jesus. Um, I know personally for me, I with all the chaos that goes on, uh, like I said 13 months ago, I would never, never even think to pull out a Bible and start reading from it. And uh, now with the help of uh, everybody from Wellspring, uh, with my brother John, with Pastor Jason, um, the, the guidance that they give me, where to start and what to read, um, it, it's been wonderful. And uh, you know, I couldn't thank everybody here enough for what they've done. Now, I think that the chaos is still there, but just knowing that our relationship with Jesus gets us through it. It's um, not been the easiest past year. I'd actually say it's one of the hardest ones, especially for me personally, but I've been the happiest, and I hope that makes sense. And if you come to Wellspring Church and you have that relationship with Jesus, you'll completely understand what we're talking about. A, uh, it's a cool family. Rich is not nearly as serious as he comes across in that video. Uh, and if you all remember Wendy, she's the one that comes up here for announcements and is like, I say well, you say spring, and she does like all of that. It's a great family. They take up like an entire section over here. And their life truly has been chaotic. And there's been little things along the way to help in the midst of that chaos. Chaos theory is a, is a mathematical term that uh, uh, we, is the reason why we named this. If you were to Google it, this would be the definition that you get. A branch of mathematics that deals with complex systems whose behavior is highly sensitive to slight changes in condition so that small alterations can give rise to strikingly great 
consequences. So in the midst of your chaos, oftentimes it's one small little thing that will make a world of difference, is it not? I was honored to to be able to go to Bayside Chapel last week. Josh preached. I took a Sunday off. I hadn't had a day off until a uh, Sunday off until um, the last uh, the week after the Ben series. Uh, even having Sunday off, it was still a sixty-hour work week. I was tired. I was fried. I told Ava, like Ava, you have to serve here at Wellspring, but but I'm taking the kids and I'm out. I'm going. And uh, and so I went to I went to Wells or I went to Bayside, and as I was there. Reagan, my youngest daughter, doesn't really remember uh, well. Uh, remember Bayside, and when she got there, and it was time to give her off into the nursery, my boys were excited. They were good to go hang out with friends and whatnot. They ran right in there. I didn't see them for the next two hours. But Reagan, Daddy's little girl, yay, uh, started crying and, and throwing a fit. Normally, she runs right in here. She started crying and throwing a fit, and in my mind, I instantly felt defeated because I was like, I need to just go into this church service and just sit. I need to go in there and worship and not think about the sermon. I need to go in there and just sit and take in for for just one Sunday. God, give me one Sunday. And there was a kind person in the nursery that lovingly just took my daughter, and I had to walk away as she was crying, but I knew she was in in great care. And when I came back, there was a guy that worked in corporate America and and his wife and and that that nursery greeter, and my daughter was full of smiles and laughing and like, Daddy, and like came running out with the biggest smile, completely different than when I left her. And I knew that that would happen. What it made it, the difference it made in my life was that I was able to sit in a worship. I can't tell you a single worship song that I sang, but I can tell you I cried through every one of them. Because in the midst of chaos, I needed that small little love gift of take my daughter, take care of her, let her have the best time in the world so I don't even have to think about her, and I can just focus on me and God. That small little thing, go back to that definition, made all the difference. It had a great consequence in my life where I get to come back refreshed and giving this all in all. And that's my challenge. I'm going to give the challenge in the middle of the sermon today. My challenge to us today is to help us ignite something here. We, if you know this, because you know it from your personal lives, you also know from the friends that you have in life, this is a chaotic world for all of us. So help us be that small act of kindness that will ignite something in somebody else. And so I'm, I'm asking that we would consider signing up to be part of, of being here. Show that next picture. Somebody that would just pull a wagon. It was raining today. My wife said it was a heck of a time to get, to get uh, my daughter here this morning because of the rain and getting out of bed and all those things. Do you know how much it means to, to the single mom when you meet her at the end of that quarter-mile hallway, literal quarter-mile hallway, and you meet her at the end after she was struggling to get, to get out of the car, and you put, you put her kid in, into, into a wagon, you just have a lot of fun as you roll that kid down, not the actual kid, but the wagon down the hallway. It means the world. It's a small act that, that makes all the difference. Or when you're, when you're outside at your home and you're going to go home and you're not going to say hi to another human being for the rest of your day. And there's chaos in that. Doesn't it make all the difference in the world where, when Dennis Drews meets you at that door right there and says, Hi, I'm genuinely happy <laughs> She's going to preach <laughs> I don't even know what, I'm, I'm out, I'm out. I'm genuinely happy to see you. But you're the mom or you're the dad that just needs an hour of a break. And to know that you can drop your kids off in the nursery or the well kids area where everybody's background checked, reference checked, 
There's a lot of time and energy put into that. You can just sit back and be here relaxing. Doesn't that make all the difference in the world? You could say that we have enough, but Jesus could say that too. He had himself. He had enough. We have enough. I would love to be overstocked with volunteers so that you, there's not a single person that can walk through our doors and not feel welcome, not feel loved. Try going to a Jewish synagogue next Saturday. Try going to maybe a Catholic church where they don't have tons and tons of volunteers. And you get to walk in and not say hi to a single person. You get to walk in and be like, where do I go? Where's the bathroom? Where's the nursery? Does anybody even know I'm here? Do they care that I'm here? Because if you walk in a building and you feel like you're not cared for, you're not going to care to hear their message. And if you're talking about a Jesus that says, I care about you, you're going to start lining up the puzzle pieces and like, I don't feel cared for right now, and you're going to tell me this guy cares for me? Hogwash. That's an old person term, but hogwash. <laughs> so we want to we help us ignite something for people where they have, where when we share a message that Jesus is a God of love, that they will have experienced that, and they will start to connect the dots. Help us ignite something in the midst of this crazy, chaotic world. And so our passage goes on and says this, now when the sun was setting, again the same day, for the Jewish person, this would be the end of the day. The day is now at, at a close. Uh, at the, uh, and if you're Jesus, no, and I'll walk a mile in Jesus' sandals. Know that this has been a very, very long day. You're probably tired. This is the end of the day. As the sun was setting, all those who had, uh, who had any illness or, or were sick with various diseases, they were coming out to Jesus. These were illnesses that, that were all over the board. This wasn't one type. Jesus wasn't like a, a trickster healer. He wasn't like, I only heal this type of disease because, well, that's all I can manipulate people into thinking I can heal. All sorts of diseases came to Jesus, and he was able to, to heal because there's no limit to Christ's power. And they were brought, and they brought them to him. Catch this. If you're a Jew, you're not allowed to travel uh, uh, unless it's to the, the synagogue, as Josh pointed out. And so they're not allowed to go to Simon's, uh, Simon's house, his mother-in-law's house. They're not allowed to go there on the Sabbath day. So they wait until the sun comes down. Once the sun comes down, once they're allowed to travel, now, now the crowds are coming. Now the chaos is really blowing up because a whole slew of people are bombarding this house. Do you hear the chaos? Do you sense the chaos? And Jesus is likely just wanting a stinking break. But instead, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. Again, that word rebuke is used. Because they knew what? That he was the Christ. This is, in essence, a 24-hour day, completely chaotic. Synagogue, Simon's mother-in-law's mother house. The crowds are now coming. He's healing late into the night. If you're walking a mile in Jesus' sandals, aren't you tired for him? And yet he doesn't rebuke the crowd coming to him. He doesn't say, not today, come back tomorrow, or I'm out. There will be times where he has to do that. But today, at the end of a very long day, he doesn't allow his authority to overshadow his compassion. He has power over the demons. 
cast out the demons. Josh, again, alluded to this last week. And so I'll take a second to, to tell you where we stand on this, because it's often, uh, uh, Deshaun was mentioning, meet the pastor. Come next week, ask your questions, hear our story. And oftentimes in the midst of the, of the meet the pastor, one of the questions we'll get is, well, there's a lot of churches kind of like you in, in Tom's River, but most of them are, are charismatic. Where do you stand with charismatic type things? And part of the charismatic movement is, is casting out demons and healing. Those two things are, are, are addressed in this passage. And so I'll again to touch upon those two specifics. Do I believe that God can heal Absolutely. I believe as an elder in this church that God, through the pages of James, has called me, if you're sick, to come to you and pray over you and ask and beg God for healing. But you know what else I see as miraculous? Not only that he would hear my prayers, but he has privileged us in America with modern-day technology. Is not modern-day technology a sign of his miraculous, that he would give people the intelligence to come up with certain things to heal? And so when when Peter's mother-in-law is stressing with a high fever, when you don't have to stress with a high fever because you can pop some Tylenol, that in itself is the miraculous. Let us not take that for granted. But when people had the gift of healing back then, it was oftentimes to authenticate that they are a person that you should listen to their message. It, it, it was signs of their apostleship, their, their prophetic nature. But we have the completed word of God. And so my view on that is, is I would classify it as open but cautious. Can it happen overseas? Absolutely. I'm not willing to put God in a box and say healing can't happen. People can't have the gift of healing. I would be naive to think that there's a missionary someplace that doesn't need the gift of healing. I'm not putting God in a box and saying it can't happen. But I hold an open but cautious, cautious view here on earth because I, or here in America because I've seen two people manipulate and, and abuse it to, to make people do all sorts of things and get all sorts of money. And I think that is disgusting. So we hold an open but cautious view. When it, when it comes to, to demon possession, do I, am I going to go to the route of saying there are no demons? Absolutely not. Evil is very real. My prayer this morning as I opened up was motivated by a morning of feeling oppression. Email, having to text 11 people, please pray for me because my spirit right now does not want to get up on stage. I feel like a dirtbag not ready to preach. And I beg for the Holy Spirit to overpower the power of darkness. And so I believe demons are very real, real enough to put Jesus on the cross. And so we should take it seriously. My mom ha- tells a story. She's only told it, uh, told it to me a few times because it freaks her out. Where, where she was a, a middle school student where, where she invited a friend over from church. It was a person that didn't know Jesus, but they, my, my, my grandparents were reaching out to her, and they invited this woman, this young lady, into her home to play with my mom. And, and they were playing in the living room, and all of a sudden this, this young lady started speaking in a deep voice and had this strength of, like, these compulsion acts and, like, strength that was not her strength. And, and, my, and my grandparents knew instantly that this was demon possession. And they came running in and prayed over, over the situation. I don't know exactly how it ended because my mom gets too freaked out to fully tell the story. But what I know from people that I very much trust is that evil is real and I don't want to mess with it. And so if you're dabbling in evil, get out of that. Nothing, nothing, nothing to be played with. And so that's our stance on some of those things, and it's not to the point where I disrespect people that believe it. We believe in Jesus. We can leave it at that. 
Jesus had power over the demons, and he told them to shut up. If you read that, you're like, why would Jesus tell them to shut up? They just said he's the son of God. That's great. But it's coming from demons. It's not the type of witness Jesus really wants. Jesus wants to control who gets to tell about himself. Jesus wants to make it known, like, this is the type of person that embodies the message. The demon isn't embodying the message that he's sharing. And so he tells the demon to kindly shut up, and he has to listen. That's why Jesus is telling them, not on your timetable, on my timetable will I be declared. And so where we looked at the temptation and saw that Jesus' authority was brought into question, now the demons have to submit to it. Jesus has a very long day, and he was committed to serving and showing compassion, even in the midst of having to say hard things. Rebuke is mentioned a few times in this passage. It's really, really simple. You want to be heard? Love people enough so they want to hear what you have to say. We value simplicity because keep it simple. This world is chaotic. We walked into here. This, this better not be a chaotic place. This better be a simple place. Place. There is power behind simplicity. There's power behind a simple word, a simple hi, a simple hello, a simple I'm glad to see you here. There's power behind a, simplic- a simplistic simple where people can find their way through different things. Jesus knew exactly what he wanted to rebuke and what he didn't want to rebuke. If you and I are in this scene, if you've read the last 24 hours, wouldn't you and I rebuke the crowd coming? Wouldn't you and I maybe rebuke Simon's mother-in-law? Wouldn't you and I maybe rebuke Simon? Or maybe you and I would, re- we would look at this scene and there would be things like, well, I would probably handle this differently. Isn't that the case? Isn't that the situation with chaos? Can't you look back on chaotic situations in your life and say, rebuke just means to sharply criticize? That in the midst of your chaos, you sharply criticize the wrong thing? Maybe you're a boss and you have pressure from the people above you. And so you found yourself this past week with a situation where you sharply rebuked somebody under you. And when you step back, you're like, that person really wasn't that wrong. It was the stress from the people above me. Or or maybe you're you're a college student and you have a a heck of a time with the people at home. Your, Your mom, your dad, your brothers, your siblings, or a friend. And all of a sudden, you've sharply rebuked. A, a teacher or, or, or a guidance officer, and all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're like, I rebuked them. I, I went hard at them, and I took it out on the wrong people. Or maybe, you're, maybe you're, you're a child that is having a very hard time at school, and you're giving your parents a whole world of trouble right now. Are they the people that you want to sharply criticize, or are you taking it out in the wrong places? Jesus knew who to rebuke and who to leave alone. For me, it happens with my kids. Three weeks ago, I'm getting ready for church. It's five in the morning, and I'm waking my kids up for church. The crazy thing is they're excited to go to church. And Brady, my middle child, he's, uh, he's slow in the mornings, no matter what time he wakes up. And he has this thing of losing his shoes. And so, like, when you're wanting to get out of the house, like, a slow kid always losing his shoes, like chaos. Like that is the definition of chaos. And, and I lost it on him. I screamed. I yelled. I said, you're, that's it. You're going with your mom in an hour. You're not coming with me. And he just broke down and wept. Because he wanted to go to church. And as I read this passage this week and saw Jesus rebuking, 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 but not rebuking the areas that I would want to rebuke, I realized I had just done that. On a Sunday morning, I rebuked my kid when I should have been rebuking myself. 
So where do you, where you have influence? Are, are you using it for the right purposes? In the midst of your chaos, are you rebuking the right things? How do you use your influence in, your, in the midst of this? And so that's, that's my big thought for us this morning is use your influence to show compassion. And from your compassion, say the tough things if you need to. You should. Use your influence to show compassion. And right now, we should be examining where we have influence. Influence in our homes. Influence in our jobs. Influence in our schools. Influence among our friends. And, and maybe that comes with an element of authority. Do, do people that we're in authority over, do they know that we care? That when it comes time to say the tough things, do they know that it's coming from a place of love and care? Or do they just look at you as a jerk? Therefore, in the midst of chaos, they'll never hear anything that you are saying. We went to a baseball game this, uh, a few weeks ago as a church. There was a kind family in the church that, that bought a bunch of those dollar tickets. And so a bunch of us went to a baseball game. That week for me was uh, a meeting on, on Monday night to talk about discipleship, to talk about life groups and how we can encourage people to grow deeper and deeper in their walk with God. On Tuesday, I met with a nice family. They had them over for dinner. Uh, it was an awesome time, great time. That was Tuesday night. Wednesday night, I had my starting point. Y'all should sign up for a starting point. Thursday, I had church. Friday, I had the baseball game. You know what I want to do on Friday instead of the baseball game? There's my couch. I wanted to do nothing. And so I found myself avoiding people at that baseball game, buying food for my boys. And, and actually, they got to talk to some of the baseball players, so that was cool. But I, I was just burned. I was just worn out and just tired from a very long week. And in the midst of that, I went to the at the end of the night. My kids were situated with the Raj family. And uh, I went to get a cup of coffee uh, because it's 8 o'clock. That's what every human being should do is buy a cup of coffee. And uh, so I got a cup of coffee, and on my way back, my kids were gone. I was like, hey, Krista. <laughs> like, where are they? And uh, they're like, oh, they, they, like, all of a sudden had to, like, really go to the bathroom, which I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's kids. And, uh, and so Josh, being a close family friend, just took him to the bathroom to make sure no creepers did anything to them. <laughs> Because we have that friendship. That small act of kindness of just not pulling me out of line for coffee and making me go take my kids to the bathroom and then make me go back. Like that little thing meant the world to me. And that's, a, that's a small thing, but I could tell you stories and stories and stories of Josh helping me move. Krista leaving sticky notes for Ava at work where, where she just said, like, I love you. You're in, in like hundreds of sticky notes of encouragement, of encouragement, of encouragement. And you know what? There has been times where the Rajas have had to say tough things to Ava and I. And I didn't write them off because it came from a heart that cared. And so I'll go back. How do you view Jesus? Is he just a jolly old Jim, a nice guy? Or is, are, do you respect him enough to show actionable respect, to, to submit to his authority because of his care? We'll close with this scripture to, to think about. Uh, in, in Matthew 20, uh, 20, it says, and, and Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers and the Gentiles lord it over them, lacking compassion, and their, and their high officials exercise authorities over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must what? Be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must what? Be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How do you view Jesus? Is he just a nice guy? Or is he a nice guy demanding your respect and deserving your respect? Why? Because you had a ransom on your life by the power of darkness. 
Jesus came in, died on the cross, paying a ransom you cannot pay on your own. Do you accept the gift of that ransom? And how do you move forward as Jesus used his influence to show you compassion? How will you move forward using your influence to show compassion in the midst of your chaos and others' chaos? Let's sing about this gift that this ransom is now.